A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the, the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and <laughs> my... Um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about. But I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. Mm. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, MeUndies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort. From the outside in. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes. I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, The Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will mm. sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral Sleepy Girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knutson crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. 
limo in an all black suit. Season 19, two girls, they threw me for a loop. Then they took me to the crib, but she gave me a kiss and threw me a rose. And I thought, this could be it. To my people in the crowd, let me see your hands. We in paradise, sipping with our toes in the sand. Toes in the sand, in the sand. We in paradise, sipping with our toes in the sand. Toes in the sand, in the sand. This is the saga of Sally's suitcase. Sally's on Clayton's season. She was like engaged beforehand. She showed up. She never even got out of a limo. So she wanted a second shot at love, and we wanted to grant that to her. But we were a little apprehensive. I mean, she didn't even get out of the limo the first time. So we decided to send a producer to make sure that she got on her flight. A Paradise Sherpa, if you will. Mm -hmm. She gets to Sally's house. She texts her. I've got a huge surprise for you outside. Come outside, come outside right now. Sally texts back. I can't, I have explosive diarrhea. But there are a lot of people here that are also here for the wrong reasons. They just don't say it. They don't say it. I've been told a lot of things about other people that I would never breathe a word on this beach because I, I am true to myself. And I'm never gonna throw someone else. Even if they have dirt, I don't care about your dirt. I'm here for me. I'm here for my business. I'm not here to throw anyone else under and I'm not here to talk about y'all because everyone has that they don't want to talk about. And this is exactly why I did not get on three flights. But I don't appreciate you talking about me behind my back. Kate, like you talk about me at Women's Hell All, and like now you're here. It's different. What do you mean it's different? It's different. It's an entirely different landscape. What like is we're different here, landscape? We're here on the beach yeah. making connections. We're not like at a WWE wrestling match about our season. Trying to fix it is not saying pain and itching are the same thing. That's a fact. That is not a fact. That is a fact. No. Yes, it is. Well, it feels so good to see so many strong and loving couples here today. And quite honestly, you're going to need that strength now in the next couple days because things are about to get a lot tougher. In fact, I think the next couple of hours are going to be very telling. And that's because, as of right now, paradise is over. Last night I was thinking, and I did something absolutely crazy. I became ordained. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues, and we got a special one for you today. There will be no twibbin. Instead, we're going to be running down the top 10 most important things that happened in Bachelor in Paradise Season 8. And at the end of this episode, we're going to be giving you our uh, season-long awards our face play of the season, our air of the season, our play of the season, our MVP, our creature, our Jorge Moreno, all of it is coming up at the end of this. But before we get to any of that, let's break down the top 10 most important takeaways from Bachelor in Paradise season eight. I feel like it was a game changer in one way or another. <laughs> in in many ways. I mean, there were a lot of firsts that happened this season, certainly. Of course. The first time the Dark Lord offered a marriage on the sand. <laughs> 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 Historical moment. How could I possibly have forgotten about that? A historical thing that will change the face of the Bachelor forever. Dark Lord Palmer. Uh, what did he say? He's like, I did something crazy last night. I got ordained. They're like, okay, <laughs> good for you, bruh. <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, sweet, dude. Cool. No, let's start with number 10. All right. There, there were a lot, and we do have some honorable mentions that we'll get to at the end of this list. But let's start with number 10, which was very important. This was historic. It was the longest season in the history of The Bachelor. 16 episodes, two nights every week. Was it too much? We don't know. We're going to talk about that. But usually seasons in uh, Paradise are in the 10 to 13 episode range. BIP season one had seven episodes. Season two had 12. Season three had 11. Four had 11. Five had 11. Uh, six had 13 episodes. And seven had 11 episodes. This again, 16 episodes. It's almost another third mm -hmm. of a season tacked onto it. And then even if you go back into the main game, there have only been three Bachelor seasons that had 13 episodes, which is the highest amount of those. We're, of course, talking about Golden Boy, Season 17, Sean Lowe. We are, of course, talking about Prince Farming, Chris Souls. And we are, of course, talking about that great one in Season 21. Nick Vial had 13 episodes. And then Bachelorette, there were only four seasons to have 13 episodes. Everything else had less. You had Season 10, Andy Dorfman. Season 11, your goat, Caitlin Bristow. Season 15, the Instagram champion of all time, Hannah Brown. And season 16, the fractured Claire Crawley and Tasha Adams season. So we're looking at 16 episodes. And you have to wonder, why was this decision made? And who made it? Money. <laughs> right. Money, but also I think there's something else going on here. Because this decision, the, the number of episodes ordered of any television show, that order comes from the network. ABC is the one making that decision. Warner Brothers owns this show. They are the studio that funds the production. NZK is the production company that actually facilitates the creation of it. But ABC is the broadcast network. They are the ones who tell Warner Brothers and NZK, we want 16 episodes of this this season. And so they then have to, to manufacture those 16 episodes. And we saw how that had an effect, I think. We'll get into that. Uh, you know, I think it was a little watered down. I think there were a lot of narratives that were just kind of meandering and meaningless. Watered down? What? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> I wish we got more Wells story time. We'll get to Wells story time. Don't you worry. My big issue with the 16 episodes is really that they're doing two episodes a week, that it's four hours of TV that you're requiring someone to keep up with in order to be engaged in this season. And I think... The nation is burnt out. Yeah. I think the people covering the show are burnt out. And to have, I mean, we were doing four hour episodes broken down into one hour recaps. It was a tonnage issue. And this is our livelihoods. If you're just a casual fan, like I can totally see you dropping off this season. Absolutely. It's too much. I, I think that that has been an issue for a little bit. There was also that season last year that had two back-to-back -back bachelorettes with uh, Katie Thurston mm -hmm. and Michelle Young. I feel like this was somewhat trying to like do the median medium between those two. Of like, well, we don't have an extra season, but we'll add on half a season. Yeah, and it's really, in my opinion, it's just about ABC not having anything else to put there that will make as much money. And when I say make as much money, I mean be as profitable. Because you could probably put something in this slot, like a scripted show, that would get similar ratings. Unfortunately, scripted shows cost millions of dollars to make an episode. The Bachelor in Paradise don't cost shit to make an extra episode. <laughs> you already have these people there that you're paying next to nothing. Barely paying them. 
<laughs> exactly. Reality shows are much cheaper just generally to produce than scripted shows, but specifically The Bachelor is very cheap. And if you're already there shooting it, why not just carve us out an extra three episodes? This is really like just a job for an editor and a producer to somehow find uh, six more, or I guess there's an hour and a half of content in each episode. So it's really to find four and a half more hours of content over mm -hmm. the regular 13 episode order, which they attempted to do with, uh, you know, mixed results, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, we'll be discussing some of those mixed results uh, in the rest of our top 10. But number nine is actually one of those mixed results. And this was the Aya Kanetis. Jared and Ashley Iaconetti were brought back, in theory, to reign over sand as the paradise royalty that they embody and dole out advice to all of the paradise rookies. However, the franchise, in my opinion, misused them entirely, creating a lengthy fool couple edit, completely alienating the fourth audience from this legendary pair. Couldn't agree more. In the Iaconetti's, you have, especially in Ashley Iaconetti, you have a player who came from what I would consider the golden era of this game. This mm -hmm. is uh, right after Sean Lowe established that the process can work for a Bachelor. She came in in season 19. That was Chris Souls. Again, one of the only other seasons that had, or Bachelor seasons that had 13 episodes. She was in that season. She vaulted into superstardom within our beloved game in Bachelor in Paradise Season 3, when players could routinely go into Paradise and walk out of it with a million followers. We're going to get to some of that a little bit later as well, what's happened to the Instagram followings. But she is that player. She was a star on Bachelor Winter Games. She has come back for reunion shows to give, like, Kelsey Weir. She gave her mm. a big bottle of champagne to thank her for her tear play. She is an icon of this game. As is Jared Iaconetti. And they met in Paradise. And... What did we get from her? We got some piss play. We got some fart play. Screamy <laughs> <laughs> Caesar play. <laughs> we got, let's just blanket call it bio play. We got some bio play from Ashley A. Canetti. <laughs> <laughs> some non consummation play. Yeah, exactly. Some uh, fart cock blocking play. We got almost nothing from them of substance, and that's a shame because they are Bachelor royalty. They are evidence that this process can work. While she and Jared Iaconetti did not couple after their season of Bachelor in Paradise together, they did after that season. They met on the show. They met on the show, and it, they didn't end in an engagement. But yes, they met on the show. They're married. They have a child. They have a successful business in Audrey's Coffee Shop in New Jersey. Please visit if you haven't. But the way that they used them... I think, is indicative of how the producers see players now, this current producer tier. They don't like them. Players are jokes. <laughs> players are to be vilified. Unless you are the one or two couples that are protected, who are going to get the good edits, and who are also just... It's not even about edits anymore. It's literally about being uh, offered exemption from the torture that they are devising for the other players. Like... Olio Maltby with the split, which we'll get to. Rest assured. And it is this very torture that makes up our number eight most important takeaway from this season. Misery has become the producer goal. We had more people crying and miserable than we've ever seen. 
This resulted in a record-setting number of self-eliminations, including the fastest ever times on sand by Sally Carson and Lindsay Windham. This included NC Abedin's meltdown at the Sadie Hawkins, which was a difficult segment to watch. This included the collective group meltdowns at the estates and at Rodney's self-elimination, that powerful group STCO, where you had 15 people openly weeping for an hour. It was unbelievable. And it's not only that. It's not only that all of these people were crying. That thing where when um, Rodney left, unreal. Never seen anything like it. Literally everyone on the beach was crying. Everyone. And the producers created this. They want this to happen. Dark Lord Palmer is brought in every once in a while to rub his hands and be like, I've got something new for you to twist the knife. And everybody's like, oh, my God, what now? I can't believe this. Even as I mean, we're going to get to the split very specifically a little bit later. But even something like the split, there's only one reason to do something like that. It is to create misery. It is to make these people sad and miss the other person and not want to be where they are. And they promoted as such. Every promo has a million fucking tears in it. There's always uh, in the promo Dark Lord Palmer talking about like, see whose emotions will be shattered. And we're going to have man tears, a special type of tears that we don't get very often, but we're going to get a lot of on sand. And I've talked to some degree about this, but I truly think this all started back in season 18 of The Bachelor. This is the year 2014, which was a very influential year. You had Juan Pablo as your bachelor. He became the first villain bachelor. And I think it was at that moment when the producers had to turn on their own lead in the edit that the producer class got a taste of that. Here's what it's like to fuck over our lead. And I think they kind of ran with it. You then saw uh, season 19 was Chris Souls, Prince Farming. He was a fool character. You saw Ben Higgins They in season 20. They coaxed that motherfucker into telling two women he loved them simultaneously. They set him up in, a, in much the same way they would Clayton Eckerd uh, later on in, in 26, and so on and so forth. You even had uh, Nick Vial, arguably, is a villain bachelor, cast from the pool of villains as the bachelor. Um. There's a bunch of examples of this going forward since season 18 that I believe kind of lays over the top also of players starting to become influencers, starting to make a shitload of money in their parasocial play as a result of being players in the game. And I think the producers resent that. And so you now have this producer class somewhere around 2016, 17. You have a producer class who not only knows how to manufacture a uh, villain situation for your leads, but also starts to kind of hate them, starts to resent their ability to make money on social media. And so now flash forward all the way to this season of Bachelor in Paradise, where it has come full steam ahead. They've been through the Brennan Marias's, the Piper James. They've seen like really what kind of damage they can do to people by setting up these situations to make them villains and to make them cry and to show us all the misery that they can have. And I think that's just their model now. I think that's literally the goal of everything producers do at this point. I mean, I think that the treatment of whoever is The Bachelor is most exemplified by our last Bachelor, Clayton Eckerd, and you had entire round of limo exits mocking him in the following bachelorette season 
So that is a villain bachelor through and through. They, I mean, they gave him a villain edit from his first time on camera as the bachelor reading mean tweets about himself. Yeah. And I think that's just continuing. I'm, you know, even if as we're talking about bachelor at 19, not that they villainized either uh, Rachel Recchia or Gabby Wendy. They didn't. They were not villainized. I mean, I would argue they kind of villainized Rachel Recchia. Really? In what way? I think that they gave her kind of this edit of like, I have to get a proposal mm. and like that she was having kind of like emotional meltdowns and like, and they showed a lot of her like insecurity ITMs. That is where I feel like they villainized her. And it's like, it's maybe a milder villainizing than like say a normal player would get, but it's, it's not a glorifying, like you're the bachelorette. Right. You are in this great position. Yes. And we are going to build you up. This is your love right. story. I didn't get that feeling at all. For, I mean, for either of them really. Yeah. I mean, that really is, is where it has boiled down. I think since season 18, that idea that these players should be celebrated and we're going to put them on a pedestal, that's completely gone, even if you're a lead. And and that was obviously very apparent in season 19, even down to the premise of we're going to have two bachelorettes, which necessarily means neither of them can have as much screen time. Neither of them can have as much attention as they deserve, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pit them against each other and have the men choose between them. And we're also getting our first glimpse of what, 27 is going to be like, and we have Zach Shellcross getting scrubbed down in the shower by Sean Lowe, which is kind of an anointing, but it's also a little bit of a fool at it. It's like, look at what we can do to you. Get naked, get scrubbed by Daddy Sean. In my humble opinion, the fact that they got Golden Boy in that shower with that brush is symbolic of saying, we know he's the Golden Boy. And he should be held at the highest honor. But now we've turned him into a fool as well. They are taking the last sacred player they really fucking had in this game and saying he is a joke also. Fuck it. Fuck all of these players. That, to me, is what's coming through that screen. Haunting. <laughs> Speaking of what's coming through that screen, let's move on to our number seven most important takeaway from this season. We're talking about the treatment of villainy. Now, despite all the things we're saying about producers villainizing uh, different players and this and that, there were some very interesting and I think good things that happened this season with the villains. We are talking almost specifically here about Kira Mengistu and Kate Gallivan. It seems to be an attempt on their parts and also to some degree how the producers presented them, a return to having fun with the villainy. There were no Brennan Mariah style villains this season. There were no Piper Jameses where it seemed like they were actively trying to destroy someone's life with the exception maybe of Hayden Markowitz, but he really wasn't in the game long enough for that to, to take hold. They did not build any kind of plot around a super 40 WR player this season that they tried to like run off the beach because their uh, like moralistic judgment was being made against them by the other players. And I thought what Kira did, I mean, obviously this was scripted for her, but what she did with the uh, vibrator going into the boom, boom room, I thought everything Kate Gallivan was doing with the kind of like uh, materialistic arch villain attitude. I loved it all. This was like pro wrestling to me. I, I loved it. It definitely did feel like 
what your description of pro wrestling is like. I've never actually watched it. <laughs> but uh, we also had the pizzapreneur coming in for a little jaunt on sand. And it really, remi- his run reminded me of um, in Parks and Rec, there's a scene where John Ralphio uh, goes and gets a job and he basically like is intro to his work and he walks the circle around the office. And by the time he walks around the full office, they're like, you're fired. He's like, that makes sense. And he just like walked out. <laughs> I never saw that episode, but that sounds hilarious. It's fantastic. Speaking of fun storylines, our number six most important takeaway from this BIP season is Big Buddy Trash Cans creator Aaron Clancy's all-star season. He had the infamous itching versus pain fight. He created the term the jungle path and used it to describe the location where Genevieve was playing these fantastic make-me-stays. He brought up the term nectar and defined it for all of the people like me who didn't know what it was. He had all of this colorful narration. And in my opinion, he reclaimed his storyline and evolved this season from one of last season being this dynamic duo, colorful narrator, bro player, to a more serious 4TRR love story. I predict an even more successful third run after he engages in preseason therapy play, resulting in a BIP season nine four-tier power couple, the likes of which this game has never seen. That's interesting. You think he's going to come back? I hope so. Hmm. Yeah, I hope so too. He, at this point, I think is their, he's their really, uh, or I should, I, I guess he is, he's their only all-star player right now. They're only all-star paradise player. What? Yeah, because I think Parisi I would put in that category as well, but I think she's kind of over it. I think she's a little too for TRR. Clancy and Bonsall to me, like, get it. They are paradise players. Neither one of them, I think, was like made for the main game. They use that to springboard into this. And like you're saying, I mean, Clancy, in my opinion, was the standout player in paradise uh, this year. I'm not necessarily saying... He's my MVP. He's your MVP. I'm not saying that, no. But I think in terms of what the game of Paradise is, he understood it better than anyone, and he put on display exactly why he should be there. He has, like you're saying, all this colorful narration. He's making up terms, including the Jungle Path, which is now, in my opinion, a part of the Bachelor in Paradise lexicon. I think that will be used forever Mm -hmm. uh, to describe any player who's gone to that little area where they're about to leave. He just brings something to the game that nobody else can, which sadly is fun. Uh, You know? Yeah. I think he's like, he's a reality television star and he is extremely charismatic and we'll get to it. I do think he like the love story for me is what is missing. And I feel like, well, will elevate him, Mm. whether it's with Parisi or someone else, I would love to see him become a part of a romantic couple. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what we want for everybody coming out of Paradise. We want, especially the players we like, we want them to wind up in some kind of a grocery and serener style thing and get their own podcast and all that. I could definitely see Aaron Clancy winding up in some situation like that. He finds his serener and he gets an official Bachelor Nation podcast and he's one of those guys. Like, I can totally see that for him. He sells his nectar. 
Oh my on his God. Big Facts podcast. <laughs> what is nectar? What's what is he selling? I don't know. It's either a cologne or it's like a beer. <laughs> oh yeah, I could see it being kind of like a sweet beer or something like that. It's crypto. <laughs> <laughs> nectar coin. Aaron Clancy, if you're listening, I want 10% of your nectar coin endeavors. But uh no, I think he really made a case this season on BIPA for why he really is next in line, I think, for that, the official Bachelor Nation podcast spot Mm -hmm. or kind of like preferential treatment from the producers. He should, because I feel like he was carrying the season on his back. Yes, I do too. I I think without him, I try to imagine what the season would have been like without an Aaron Clancy in it. Not a good season. Um, It would have been very hard to keep, I think, anybody hanging on. He was kind of like the... (laughs) the shining moments in this season where it was still fun and still funny. And you felt like, Oh, well that guy doesn't seem like he's maybe on the, the verge of a nervous breakdown. Like everybody else does. He was kind of the one person for me holding <laughs> it together. But I mean, he was also kind of on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Produced tears. He just hit it better, I guess. But yeah, I loved everything that Aaron Clancy did this season. We thank you for your service, Mr. Clancy. And yes, if you want to come back for a Bachelor in Paradise season nine, please, by all means, we would love to see that. But I don't know. We're going to have another crop. It's just, it's so crazy to even be able to make those predictions because we have a whole new crop of players in Bachelor 27 and then a whole Mm -hmm. new crop of players in Bachelorette 20. We don't know anything about any of these players. Jill Chen's season. Oh, she's going to be the Bachelorette? You didn't hear that announcement? I did not hear that. Mike Fleiss must have tweeted it, and I missed it. Speaking of things that we almost missed, our fifth most important takeaway from Bachelor in Paradise Season 8 is Sally Carson. We had, of course, the insane Sally Carson suitcase drama that was completely manufactured, uh, 100% lie by the producers, they had four players go into the living quarters and supposedly just start tearing open Sally Carson's suitcase to find her hair extensions, her vibrator. We then, of course, as we mentioned earlier, saw Kira Mengistu go into the boom, boom room with another woman's vibrator. And we then also saw she came to the beach for a very brief moment and seemed to dip her toe into the waters of paradise and said, no, thank you. This is not for me. And she left immediately. <laughs> We saw them make fun of her in a Wells story time where they had Mm -hmm. a producer dressing up in a wig. They manufactured some story about her forcing a producer to get into the trunk of a car. All of this Mm -hmm. seemingly was retribution for her not playing exactly by the producer's rules while they were trying to schedule her appearance on Paradise. And we saw ultimately that she was present at the finale, at the live reunion. And she was not in the document. They, I don't know what actually happened at that finale, but she was there. They had their Martinder. Essentially, they disappeared her, yes. And so this is really the first time we've seen something like this, where they keep bringing this person back again and again. They had her also at the Women Tell All of Clayton Eckerd's season, and supposedly she got a hot seat at that tell-all, and they cut it all out. She had a greater Instagram gain than Kate Galvin, who was putting in work all season long. But, I mean, Sally got the, you know, you could say she got the um, 
Alexa Ray caves at it, where her name yes. is said a thousand times. She's never on sand. They also dressed up her suitcase. It was like the Adam Jr. of this season. They would dress the suitcase in different, in a bikini, in mm. different garm, in different tots, and put it around different places. They put it in the rocks, in the ocean. They, it was like haunting the beach. It was really, you know, when we're talking about how they filled 16 episodes, it's like, why are you focusing so much on what appears to be a revenge edit of someone who's going to be of no consequence? She's not going to get involved in any of the love triangles. She's literally going to leave right away. Why even include her? It seemed like just a petty attempt to get back at her for whatever she's done to them. I don't know. But I will also say that thing you mentioned about her getting a bigger Instagram gain than Kate Gallivan is very interesting because obviously she got far less mm -hmm. screen time. But I think it's telling of what's happening with the fourth audience. The producers are throwing Sally Carson out there to be like, look at this asshole. She was dicking us around about trying to come here. And look, here's her suitcase with a vibrator in it and fuck her. The producers are doing this petty revenge edit against her and it backfires. The audience is actually like, why are they doing this? I think the fourth audience is now sophisticated enough to see through this shit and to start saying to themselves like, come on, that suitcase can't be real. And if that's the case, then that means the producers are faking this to what end just to make her look bad. I think the fourth audience is getting savvy to this shit because they're going so far across the line now. So I would say some. <laughs> I mean, there's still so many people who are like, how dare you put someone in the trunk of your car, etc." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely. There are still some people who are doing that. And I'm sure Sally Carson was getting death threats because of it. I'm positive of that. Mm -hmm. But I think that number is dwindling. And I think the the further across the line they go, and with Sally Carson's suitcase this season, I think this is like a big step across that line. The further they go across it, I think the more people start to wake up to what this show actually is, to how uh, really involved the producers are in creating every element of it, and that whatever you're seeing on screen is there for some reason that the producers want. And in this case, again, it seems like petty fucking revenge. I don't know any other reason that any of this would have happened. I just... It's revenge. It's like, oh, won't this be funny? I feel like it is like like partly an attempt to just like be like, oh, oh paradise is fun. We do wonky stuff. But it's like we could have heard from characters who like had actual love stories like yeah. Tyler and Brittany. We never saw any of their relationship. Or fucking Danielle and Michael Alio. <laughs> One of the, the premier relationships of the, the entire season we saw almost none of it why didn't they give us any of that relationship it's so strange to me especially like given how they had basically set him up to do the grocery store of the season i can't believe they didn't have more scenes with him but even if you remember like the grocery store let's let's go back to season seven or one second let's remember mm -hmm. grocery what did grocery do he did sad boy sad boy edit He's too old to be on Paradise. That was similar for Michael Alio. He tied the shirt around his head. Are these your <laughs> takeaways? Shirt tying around head. No, I'm just saying like his his narrative structure. And you have some of it right there. He shows up. Too old to be here. Oh, wait. Here's Serena. I actually uh -huh. really like her. A reason to stay. Now we're going to fire in uh, Kendall Long to try and derail that. 
and that doesn't really work. And then in the middle there, the producers conscripted him into running people off the beach, leading the gang of uh, disgruntled females. And Alio wasn't really doing that. I don't know if they tried to conscript him into shit like this and he just said no or what, but they didn't have that middle narrative meat to hang Alio's season on. In fact, they took him out of it. Alio and his gang of disgruntled predictions about couples that would last who didn't. Yeah, basically. But I mean, you know, my theory is that him and Maltby had some other place they were living. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Whether that's true or not, they were definitely literally taken out of the drama. Like when they did split week, they were protected so much that they couldn't like grocery got his hands dirty a little bit. Olio never did. And I think that may have something to do with like how they edited them out. But another thing that could have been instead of Sally Carson's suitcase, Daniel Maltby pulled it out. She did the little crab sign. Okay, they all are in a gang called Crabs together. I would have liked to see more about that. Them doing all doing the signs to each other. This is all to say these are things we could have seen instead of the vilification of Sally Carson. There were many things we could have seen instead of the vilification of Sally Carson. One of the things that we did get to see that maybe we didn't want to see was Wells Adams. This is our number four takeaway. This is our number four top 10 takeaway of this season. It's it's the inclusion of Wells Adams at a level that we've never seen before. He had multiple times this uh, little sketch that the producers wrote called Wells Storytime. And this points right back to what we, you were talking about, about they think it's funny to do the suitcases. It's clear these producers don't really actually have any comedic skill. Every time they try to make a comedic piece in the season of Bachelor in Paradise, it falls completely flat and they conscripted Wells to do more of them than anybody with these story times where Wells is doing bad acting and he's been waiting in the wings to become a Dark Lord for many years at this point. This season, they gave him the biggest and best shot to prove that he can shoulder the entire show. Unfortunately, in my opinion, he proved the opposite and putting him in a fake tiki hut at the live finale, in my opinion, cemented the fact that he's going to be a fool forever. The jokey sidekick to Dark Lord Palmer at this point. So unfortunately, I think despite the fact that the producers gave him the most screen time he's ever had, it backfired on him. I don't think he is uh, ever going to rise beyond this. I don't. Uh, I've talked about it, but I don't understand like who was clamoring for Wells to be elevated in this way. And I do think it speaks to like, you know, we we've kind of talked about how this season and like Clancy was like our bit of fun, like of all of the players. It's like the producers are like, okay, well, we do have to have some fun in the show, so let's script it into there through Wells. And that'll make it seem like, oh, it's fun paradise or whatever. But it's like all of the Wells lines just felt so stilted. Yeah. And everybody talking to him as their confessional seems like a completely scripted STCO. It is. All of those things are scripted. Yeah. And I also, like, no slight against Wells, I just think the objective truth is like he's not that good at this stuff. There's there is a confidence or something missing in the performance that makes it not funny, not interesting and you want to move on. I don't even know if that's his fault. Like I like I think he he was like a funny player and like super likable on JoJo's season and like even like early bartending too, mm -hmm. but it's it's cuz it's just overproduced, I think. Yeah. 
that it's just coming off like this. But there's also something in his performance. He conveys, <laughs> in my opinion, his performance conveys uh, a kind of, um, he feels that he's above it. He feels that he's a producer. He feels that he's now part mm-hmm. of the show. And that's just not true. You're an ex-player who is now in a tiki hut pouring people shots. That's the truth of it. And so you can put him in these sketches and he can pretend to be like on the other side of it, basically. Like when you've got him in those sketches, when you've got him uh, saying certain lines or doing the scripted STCO stuff, that is more like a producer kind of role or at least an actor in this show. He is separate in his own mind and above the players. And that is simply not true, especially when you're talking about the ability to turn in a comedic performance. Aaron Clancy blows him out of the fucking water. Like you're not in that guy's league, but you're being asked Mm -hmm. to anchor scripted sketches where you've got people in fucking wigs and they're treating it with like a black and white. Scripted sketches are just, they're hard in general. Like watch SNL. Like those, that's all those people do. It's their professional job and not all of those land. It's a really incredibly difficult form of comedy to do. I agree. And I I felt for him. I felt for him when DLP is throwing to him in the Tiki Hut during the reunion. I felt for him too. And I I similarly wondered the the same thing that you fucking said earlier. Like, why Wells? Why are they putting so much in his basket? And I'm like, does it have to do with Sarah Hyland? I think it absolutely has to do with Sarah Hyland somehow. And because like... I'm like, what did he do on BAP last season? The only thing I can remember is he was one of the celebrity guest hosts and he did the little bit where he changes shirts and like runs down. And it's like someone saw that and they were like, we need a hundred times more. (laughs) Yeah. It's so weird. Even there was a tag in this season of Bachelor in Paradise where he's reading the Sadie Hawkins like final voting things to an empty room where guys are like sweeping up the trash and shit. So that's a scripted bit that they had them do. Obviously not funny, falls completely flat, and they throw it in the show anyway. So, I mean, it's also down to that. Like, a producer who has any understanding of comedy would have looked at those Wells sketches and been like, yeah, we can't use these. But they don't. They throw them in the fucking show. They double down on it. They use multiple of them. And they're just not good. They also... Just in terms of like, that could be subjective. I say they're not good. That could totally be subjective. There may be people who love Wells fine. I think there's a lot of people who do. But objectively, they break the narrative flow to such a degree that it derails an entire episode. If I'm trying to watch relationships develop or love triangles develop, the drama, whatever I'm trying to watch, it only really involves the players. I don't give a fuck about Wells in the same way that I don't give a fuck about like Dark Lord Palmer, really. He's there to facilitate the game, but I don't want to see a three-minute sketch of him. I want to see the players playing the game. Well, agree to disagree on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But anytime you're focusing on Wells or or anyone else, you're taking the steam out of that narrative structure that you've hopefully been trying to develop across the, the course of the season. And I think it just, once again, speaks to the fact that these producers really don't understand what this show is. It's about the players. It's about those stories. And to just fucking like fire in a three to five minute sketch of Wells and Sally Carson. It's just, oh God, it's not. Clues, underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, et cetera. 
you don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and <laughs> my, um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about, but I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, MeUndies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash roses. That's MeUndies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. If you have sensitive skin, you're going to want to hear about One Skin's scientifically proven topical supplements. This is face, eye, body, shield, and it can all be used with any of their other products, which are free from over 1,500 chemicals and preservatives that can make skin red, irritated, or itchy. Their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the Skin Safe seal of approval. You got to keep that skin glowing if you want to be keeping up the level of face play that I've got going on. And OneSkin was founded by an all-woman team of scientists. Their products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety on all skin types. Uh, their topical supplements are the easiest way to keep your skin healthy and hydrated without the harsh ingredients or irritation found in other skincare products often. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code ROSES at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code ROSES. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Gore and tell them that we sent you. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Good. But you know what was good? 
our number three takeaway from this Bachelor in Paradise season was Griptoria. Victoria Fuller and Greg Grippo. Their, her, Victoria Fuller's season arc was spoiled by fourth audience fieldwork. Victoria Fuller and Greg Grippo had their first date in Rome in an attempt to avoid being seen. And guess what? They were seen. The fourth audience is global. There is no hiding from the prying cell phone cameras of the fourth audience. And the last three or four episodes of this season were spoiled by fourth audience work revealing that they were dating even while we're watching Fuller and Johnny DeFilippo's relationship unfold in paradise. It rendered Johnny's proposal to Victoria completely inert with the groggles and made all of those last few scenes of them together laughable, painful, etc. But I say this is a good thing because it is my, like, it is perhaps my favorite takeaway from this season was the Greg and Victoria relationship, this chaos, king and queen they are. They have sent the nation into a tizzy. People are obsessed with this couple, including me, in that obsessive uh, category. Absolutely, they're the only couple I care about. I mean, Brandon and Serene are great, but there was there's no drama in that relationship mm-hmm. ever at all. This shit dominated, in my opinion, the last whatever it was, three or four episodes of Bachelor in Paradise season eight. And hats off to fucking Grippo for being able to pull this off to insert himself essentially into a season he was not even on. I, I say hats off to Victoria, but well, whatever. obviously, yes, she's a part of this too. And uh, we're going to be covering their appearance on the vile files in our next digging deeper. That's going to be out next week. I think no, the week after, sorry, <laughs> but that appearance is fucking insane to say the least. And uh, I, I just, every year, that Bachelor is still in production every year that we continue to cover it. The power of the fourth audience grows. And I think that it is also something to do with the sauce wars. You know, I think that it's about finding the truth, what's really going on behind the scenes in real time. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the problem of The Bachelor is that it's not shot in real time. They shoot a whole season, then they take a month to edit it, and then they start airing it uh, piecemeal. And so when you do stuff like that, the fourth audience is going to see these fucking people out in the world. You're international stars. Sorry. <laughs> you might not have the Instagram followers to show for it, but right. <laughs> Bachelor Nation is dedicated. <laughs> sure. There's no way, unless you're indoors in a private location, that you can stop yourself from being photographed. Especially like Rome. I mean, obviously, there's going to be people in Rome who fucking know who you are. But I, I get that they at least took the opportunity. They tried to to keep it secret, but... Things like this, the kind of real world ramifications or real world, and when I say real world, I mean events outside of the the shooting of Bachelor in Paradise Season 8 or any of the main games or whatever. Those events do have an effect on the game sometimes. And this was one of the greatest examples of it. I don't think we've ever mm-hmm. seen anything like this where the shoot is done. Victoria Fuller has ended that season of shooting. She has broken up with the guy that she was engaged to. And now she's actively dating a villain from a recent prior season of Bachelorette and trying to keep it a secret. It's also just like how fast it happened. You know, there's I'm sure producers have told them all 
don't date, don't do anything until the season airs. They definitely tell them not to post social media until certain times or go on podcasts or whatever. But I also just like that it's kind of Victoria Fuller being like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. That villain energy is fucking great. And their villain energy together, they are just the most sinister couple currently operating within the nation. And I absolutely love it. They're fun in their villains in the way that fun villains used to be fun. They are bringing that back. And I'm hoping that that just has a huge swing in that direction coming up in season 27. Uh, I think it will. I think this next full year of Bachelor production, we're talking about 2023, I think it's going to be a return to the villains of old. And I think it's going to infuse a lot of uh, fun shit back into the game that we've just been missing for a while, really since the bubble seasons. I look forward to that. <laughs> and I look forward to, look, nothing against Serene and Brandon. I hope they get married. I hope they have however many babies they want. I hope they have the best lives ever. But the parasocial plays coming out of, of these two couples, I am very much, much more looking forward to Fuller Grippo. Yeah. And I hope Brandon and Serene enjoy their vacation to Hawaii, their money prize that was given to them on the finale that we never got to see. That's so weird. I don't, I don't understand why they would cut that. I mean, this is a bigger issue, one that isn't, uh, specifically attached to Bachelor in Paradise season eight. It's been happening for a while. It's the producers not understanding what to include in the edit anymore. And I don't know if it's because they're burnt out. They've just been working at such a fucking breakneck crazy pace since really the, the pandemic started that they are just kind of dialing it in or if they really think the shit they're showing us is the most important shit. But now they start leaking out these little videos of, oh, well, here, this is also what happened at the finale. And here's something that happened. And you're like, what the, f this is... Why the fuck are you having anything that you showed me in the finale? Why did we have Wells story time instead of like a two episode finale? I don't know. I don't either. Whatever. Our number two takeaway from this Bachelor in Paradise season was contract violations. And also a fun new term for us coined by Michelle Young on Bachelor Happy Hour. We had the escalation of the sauce wars. We had players openly contradicting the edit after every single episode that aired. We had Marlena West starting it off saying the Sally, Sally Carson suitcase storyline was why she didn't go to paradise. We had Teddy Wright completely ghost the entire season beginning with her self-elimination and... Uh, subtweeting the producers in her Instagram post and not showing up at the reunion. We had Brandon Jones posting on his Instagram stories about a deleted Alu villain edit. We had Genevieve Parisi issuing weekly contract violations <laughs> and Jessenia Cruz contradicting her own villain edit. A super fun secondary show to be watching throughout this paradise season was taking place on Twitter. I fucking loved it we talk about the sauce wars all the time we're in the full swing of sauce wars right now and bachelor in paradise season eight was the biggest escalation of sauce wars we have yet seen in the history of the fucking game like you're saying pace case every week multiple players would contradict the edit immediately the night the fucking episode aired which are contract violations as uh Michelle Young said, 
<laughs> it's fucking crazy and they don't care. And it doesn't seem like they're getting sued or, or cease and desist. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what kind of legal pressure the show is putting on them after they do this. But yeah, some of them have been taken down, but but it doesn't seem like they're slowing down. And I, I sincerely hope that this attitude continues into the rest of Bachelor season 27, Bachelorette 20, VIP 9. I hope that these players start to feel more comfortable contradicting the edit, especially when the edit can be horribly detrimental to their lives, potentially, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, that really is the, the thing that I find, I guess, most interesting about it is like these players see what happens when you get a bad edit. You start getting death threats. You lose sponsorships. They saw what happened to Brennan Marais and Piper James in VIP 7. And I think that's a part of really what kicked the sauce wars into high gear for this season. They were like, oh, fuck no. I'm not going to let this happen to me. Here's what really mm -hmm. happened. Use your. I remember Genevieve Priesty saying, like, do you really think it was a real suitcase? Come on. Or some tweet like that. You know, I'm, that's a paraphrase. Don't quote me exactly. Yeah. Use your critical thinking. I absolutely love this shit. And we've been talking a long time about how much power the players actually have, and they they simply don't wield it for fear of retribution from the producers in the show, potentially, or I, I don't really know why, but we're starting to see that change now. And BIP 8, to me, is really like a watershed moment in the Sauce Wars. It's, it's potentially the biggest battle in the Sauce Wars, if you want to call it that, <laughs> up to date anyway, you know? I mean, it, it they keep escalating every season, so I... I, I have no idea where they're going to end up. I never thought we would be, be seeing the frequency of contract violations that we're seeing now. And I think when it's happening to such a degree, it's like you're just going to see more and more because there's no punishment. Yes. I think the final version of the Sauce Wars to me, the, the last battle, if you will, and I don't know if this will ever happen, but I could see this type of a thing being the final battle. You have a lead... <laughs> a bachelor or a bachelorette who gets completely fucked over by the producers in the edit. And every week they are railing against it, going on podcasts. They're not supposed to go on tweeting out. This edit is wrong. Tweeting out. This is what a producer <laughs> did to me to get me to do that thing. You know, I don't know if that will ever happen. I would love to fucking see that happen though. And I hope it's coming. Shallcross? I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know much about Shawcross's personality, and it does seem like they're fool editing him, like we've stated earlier. And I don't know to what degree that's going to take form. I mean, the producers would really have to fuck somebody over bad for them, I think, to come out and be like, no, fuck this. This didn't happen. Now, they've done some things like that, though. I'm thinking about Colton Underwood. I'm thinking about Popeye, Peter Weber. They have fucked people over before in big ways. They didn't cut those seasons to like destroy their lives, but definitely in the course of shooting, especially what they did to Peter Weber with like the Chase Rice thing and Victoria Fuller with just mm -hmm. straight lying to him about Hannah Celeste and Madison Pruitt, maybe not going to show up to the rose ceremony. Those types of things. Uh, I think if they ratcheted it up a little bit more, you might get a lead who comes out and just says, fuck this, I'm done. But we shall see. I mean... We've kind of seen Matt James do that. Yeah, but that's more of a distanced approach. That's like, fuck it. I'm not dealing with this show anymore. It's not an active. He's not trolling them. Yeah. Well, time will tell. And time will tell also about our number one takeaway from Bachelor in Paradise season eight. The split. 
this was the first time the franchise directly stole a large game mechanic from Love Island called Casa Amor, in which producers split the players by gender for split week at the estates and forced them to mingle with a set of new players. While it caused some turmoil, it was mostly a bust as the female players refused to have new connections, sliding into complete despair, with no one seriously considering leaving a solid relationship. They also didn't use any of the other minor game mechanics that Casa Amor does to make players explore other options, such as truth or dare Jenga or a house versus house competition with a bunch of dares, most of which involve kissing other people. Will they do this split again? Do you think they consider it a success? And will they take even further game mechanics from other games? Um, let me answer those in reverse order. Will they take game mechanics <laughs> from other games? Yes, because they have now established that they have no problem just ripping off another show. Do I think they consider it a success? Yes, because I think the current producer tier is blinded by uh, essentially anything they do, I think they think is a success. I don't think they objectively give a fuck about what the audience thinks or even know what they think. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> Th that is how I really feel. I mean, shit, we saw Dark Lord Palmer at the end of last season in a, a darkened fucking studio. Bachelor Nation, we hear you and we're going to do better. And then they give us Bachelor Paradise season eight. So that was a lie. And will they do the split again? It was he was just referring to how little Wells was in the show last season. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to up the Wells quotient. And will they do the split again? Mm, not for a while. They're not going to do it in really? Bachelor in Bachelor in Paradise 9. Because I do think that the tonnage of people sitting around sad, I think they're aware of that. And I think they don't exactly want it to happen again. But more than that, I think like you're saying, it wasn't a success. They thought, oh, we'll split them and then they'll start dating other people and it'll be this big deal. And nobody fucking did. It was like, no, fuck you. I'm not doing this. I think if they do it again, they will have to change it in some ways or time it in a different way so that. So that what happened this year doesn't happen again, I think you'll have to like do it when like a huge couple is fighting mm. or or use these other game mechanics to make them explore those other options or put, put someone in the split week who was the person that that person came for, you know, like Alio's in it and Maltby is there while he's with Sierra or something. Yeah. It didn't seem like they gave any thought to who the people were going to be that came in, no. at least for the guys coming in for the women. It just seemed very like haphazardly done and fuck it, let's just do this. Fire in five new people. Who cares? What was haphazard about it? The the kicking tabletop and Olu off, but not kicking off any of the lower placed women. Like that, the Australian <laughs> players that they just threw in seemingly as a fucking afterthought. I mean, they totally underutilized, I think, many of the players they had that could have yielded incredible performances. You know what I want to see is Prom is not the only thing that you can do as an all-player date. Like, I think you could do group dates in Paradise to create more of these fun moments that don't seem so... Of course. So scripted. 
Of course. Put them all on a fucking yacht. Just put everybody on a yacht and go out there. Make them all do that naked volleyball game. Yeah, put everyone on a yacht. Why don't they do Make that? Make them all play naked volleyball? Well, that was a one-on-one date. I know. I remember. <laughs> Believe me. I remember. I don't, Make that a group date. I don't know. That's just my fantasy paradise. <laughs> Take all of their clothes away. <laughs> yeah. There should be more forced nudity, not less. It should be a forced nudity and forced violence nude mixed martial arts competition. In my free-spirited opinion, they should have a nude booze cruise. <laughs> okay. They need to take away the alcohol laws also. God. I mean, I will say after watching Love is Blind, when you just see people getting fucking ripped and being like, now let me tell you a thing or two. <laughs> I mean, that's... I want to see some of that shit in Bachelor real bad. Uh, it's great. So that was our type 10. Now we have a couple of honorable mentions. Um, we These almost made the list. Coming in at number 11. We had the death of the Boom Boom Room. Rip. This season was promoted as everybody is down to flock. No one flocked except for the Ayakinetis. And that was only at the end of a very long narrative that they put in the show about them not being able to flock because Ashley Ayakinetti was farting too much. They were too tired, et cetera, et cetera. The only person who, at least as it was presented in the document, successfully used the Boom Boom Room was Kira Mangistu with Sally Carson's vibrator. Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I mean, when your promo is two flamingo pool floaties humping each other 
down to flock. Yes. And you don't have a single player player on player sexual interaction or at least implied sexual interaction like make out in the boom boom room. Is everyone yeah. too scared to flock? Is flocking now 4TWR? Or was everyone flocking and they didn't use it in the edit? The Aya Kennedys lived in the Boom Boom Room for like a fucking week. That's half <laughs> of your time in paradise. The Boom Boom Room was occupied, so there was no flocking. <laughs> I think that was a part of it. But I also, like, I remember when that promo came out, we were talking about, Jesus Christ, why are they doing this? And I thought perhaps that they were trying to overcompensate for a flockless season. And indeed, that was the case. We also almost had on the list the Instagram followings of this season. No one had even close to a million Instagram followers. Victoria Fuller was the closest. She rounded out the season at around 700K. Is the Instagram era dead in our beloved game? Many other games like Love is Blind are getting huge numbers, way bigger than uh, Bachelor is at this point. Are people going to continue to sign up for the misery of paradise if there are no gains to be gained? I just, if you want to be an influencer... Why would you go on Bachelor over Love is Blind? I know they have like similar, all of these shows have like somewhat similar producing practices and we're getting into the Love is Blind pit of it all. But uh, what is to be, how, how are you going to recruit interesting people at this point? I don't, it. I don't either. Like, and also being a villain gets you no gains. We have Kate Gallivant getting less than Sally Carson after literally putting in work all season, coming up with all of these puns, mm -hmm. breaking up couples. like. But I think it's because of how they present the villains. It's how the producers are presenting them in the edit. They're making yeah. them seem like bad people. And nobody wants to follow mm -hmm. a fucking bad person on the, the old right. social media machine. But speaking of the social media machine, we do want to run down real quick our top five Instagram season-long gains, the top five Instagram totals, TikTok and... Uh, TikTok gains and TikTok totals as well. So our top five Instagram season-long gains were Serene Russell came in first place with 150K gain. Victoria Fuller was second place with 130K. Genevieve Parisi, third place with 127K. Michael Olio, fourth place with 125. And Daniel Maltby in fifth place with 102K gain. And now for the top five Instagram totals at the end of the season. This is last week. Victoria Fuller at 709K, way above everyone else. Michael Olio in second at 390K. Daniel Maltby in third at 365K. Andrew Spencer in fourth at 353K. And Aaron Clancy at 281K, rounding out the top five. So it seems like to me from this, Olio and Maltby, that couple, Maltby really benefited. Um, she put on 102K, bringing her up to 365 that's about uh, between a third and a fourth gain total. That's fucking huge. Um, and like half the screen time of Olio. Yeah, exactly. I think she really uh, did it well. I don't know. Serene too, though. There, Look, there were some significant gains here. They're just not what we've seen in past seasons. Again, none of these players mm -hmm. close to a million. And then in TikTok, the top five TikTok gains were Genevieve Parisi put on 47,000. Brittany Galvin had 31. Logan Palmer put on 26K. Johnny DeFilippo put on 26K. And Victoria Fuller put on 24K. And for the top five TikTok season totals, Brittany Galvin in first at 153.9K. Victoria Fuller in second at 135.3K. 
Andrew Spencer in third with 93.1K, Aaron Clancy in fourth with 68.1K, and Genevieve Parisi in fifth with 57.3K. So we're not seeing these numbers as high as the Instagram numbers, but they are slowly edging up every season. Yeah. It just seems like the the halcyon days of being able to walk into this game and come out of it with a million plus Instagram followers or or followers on any platform and be able to make spawn con and make a business out of it. It might be slowing down. I don't know if it's completely yeah. over, but it does seem like it's slowing down. Um, also on our honorable mentions list were Lace Morris, completely underutilized, tortured for seemingly no reason. This uh, incredible veteran player who we love to see come back yeah, just really not present in the edit. And they didn't seem to want to help to protect her in any way or to promote her in any way in the show. No, they made a whole thing about how Logan got her name wrong. They were like, oh, yeah. no one knows who she is. She's too old. I had one more honorable mention. Grocery store. Alio. We saw once again this season protected players from the beginning michael olio came in they had a very definite desire to make him the next grocery store joe without the blood on the hands they manufactured a rose for him when he broke up with sierra and it was the women's turn to give out roses well i'm probably going home guys no you're not here comes daniel maltby to literally give you a rose she is told by producers you're going to march down to the sand you're going to give him your rose and um they also avoided the split. The The worst thing that happened to anyone emotionally over the course of the season, other than maybe Rodney leaving, <laughs> was the split. When they destroyed all of these other couples, including their strongest couple, Brandon Jones, Serene Russell. So when they do that, they tell Olio, nah, this doesn't apply to you. You guys get to still stay together somewhere off camera because we didn't see them in any of the group shots. I'll, I'll continue to believe that was in a private location, their own residence. Oh, my God. But this idea that there's going to be at least one protected player every season, which in my mind was solidified with Grocery Store Joe, it is reproduced here. So it does seem like that's something they're going to do every season. Pre-script somebody to have a deep run that will be completely protected, not only in the edit, but also in what actually goes on in paradise. It's not even in the not torturing and not putting them in the in the bad situations. They had full like clips, clip shows of people just giving compliments about what a great guy he was. Yeah, he deserves to be in a relationship, blah, blah, blah. But that is our, I guess, top 15 or something. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it was. But now let's move on to our, our season end awards. Here we go. Who was your Jorge Moreno bystander of the season? For her return run as the arbiter of the human taco day, Chef Dora Vargas was my Jorge, 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 Jorge Moreno bystander of the week. I loved her last season and it was so great to see her return. And she even got a little comedy bit where she's like popping her head around the corner a little bit when the whoever was on it, the twins or <laughs> I, some twin was wrapped. Um, but I love her comedic presence. I love 
that she is becoming a mainstay in our beloved game. Thank you, Dora. Couldn't agree with you more. Chef Dora Vargas was my... Jorge, 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 Jorge Moreno, bystander of the season. Returning to the document. Two successive seasons now. You know who else did that? Jorge Moreno. She is establishing (laughs) herself as literally the next Jorge Moreno. I don't know if she gets to open up a restaurant after this, where part of it is she makes you dump food on each other and slather each other in churro sauce. I think that would be very funny. But I can see Chef Dora Vargas taking her experience on this show and turning it into a business much like Jorge Moreno did. I hope that that works out for her. Who was your season-long creature? The snake that slept with Andrew Spencer for two nights (laughs) in his bungalow was my... (laughs) Creature of the season. (laughs) Love me a good serpent. As you know, this uh, endeavor, Game of Roses, at least for me, started out way back when, when I was making memes of the show all the time, and many of them were satanic, Many of them included serpents. And so to see a literal serpent sleeping with one of the highest level players from this game, absolutely loved it. Thank you, serpent. You are my creature of the season. And my... (laughs) Creature of the season. The grocery store dolphin. This is the dolphin that leapt out of the sea alongside the second spark first one-on-one date between Michael Alio and Danielle Maltby representing a second shot at love, a protected fairy tale romance, etc. You don't see a dolphin very often. It is only reserved for the highest honors. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> Who was your error of the season? My error of the season was Aaron Clancy breaking up with Genevieve Parisi. I never gave this an error in the episode, but in retrospect, looking back at the whole season, I feel like it was the biggest mistake. Uh, Genevieve and Clancy both got huge gains. They could have come out of this a power couple I do still think he has one more redemption arc in store for BIP 9. I mean, I had my runners up were Hayden Markowitz saying <laughs> that Gabby and Rachel were 4TWR mm-hmm. uh, and Peter is those false Brittany Galvin rumor. Hmm. What was your error of the season? Kate Galavan's rejection of Logan's Rose in the final rose ceremony was my <laughs> error of the season. Had she accepted the rose, buried whatever problems they had or overcome (laughs) them and gotten engaged to him, she's going to see a much bigger Instagram gain. If she could have taken her villain run, given herself a redemption arc in the acceptance of that rose and the talking out of their problems, gotten the engagement ring, she would be sitting in a much different place now. Um, I just think it. It cemented her in the minds of the fourth audience, that rejection, especially why she rejected him, that he's not ready for this. And she's looking for a guy who has a better car and all this kind of shit. 
it's cemented in the minds of the fourth audience that she is that person, that she is that villain, that the moralistic judgment of her is correct. And so for me, uh, it was essentially the, the final kind of cherry on top of a wasted season of Paradise. Who was your play of the season? Brandon Jones producing tears upon seeing Serene Russell's dress at the beginning of their one-on-one day was my play of the season. I thought that this puppy dog 4TRR tear play was iconic. I don't think I've ever seen a more 4TRR play come out of the eyeballs in the history of our beloved game. And it cemented them as the 4TRR paradise couple. Mm. My honorable mentions were Shanae and Genevieve bearing the hatchet. There's truly nothing better than two rival players bearing a hatchet and Casey's IFI. What was your play of the season? Michael Alio producing a golden compass in a conversation with Daniel Maltby in late season was my play of the season. Alio's a protected player. Absolutely. No question about it. That doesn't mean you don't still have to bring high-level play, and he did it. This is a prop that he has brought from home specifically to use in that moment. When he is sitting there telling Danielle, I feel strongly about you, he did a love-level raise, if I remember right, in that little speech. Not to love-level four, obviously. We saw that happen, and I would argue that this Golden Compass is maybe the first half of a two-part play of the season which then culminated in Olio telling Maltby uh, Love Level 4 at the live finale. I just thought that this Golden Compass, it was so 4TRR. It was the best prop play we saw all season, hands down, and really cemented him as like, yeah, protected player, but also great player. Don't forget, great player. Just fucking absolutely loved it. Who was your MVP? For being... The number one biggest story to come out of this Paradise season. The most attention from the fourth audience at at this point in time for creating multiple love triangles, but really the biggest love triangle that mattered for getting the second biggest Instagram gain. Victoria Fuller was my... M M M M V P. I had high hopes for Victoria Fuller coming into this season, and what she was able to do within during the watchback parasocially was extraordinary. Pulling Greg Grippo into the game and making it everyone's focus was Mm. yeah i feel like it saved the season you know aaron clancy's like comedy obviously like saved the season in a different way but victoria fuller's romantic play just uh, like took her to another level made her the becca kufrin of this season well i don't know about that (laughs) i don't know about that dude she was basically like a crown on sand in my opinion interesting i wouldn't go that far but i do agree with you i don't know what we're tuning in for 
in the live finale if it's not to see the resolution of whatever her shit is with Greg Grippo and Johnny. But that said, she was not my MVP. Instead, Brandon Jones was my MMMMMVP. This man simply played a perfect season. Simply did an all-exing 4TRR strategy that we called the puppy dog strategy to a level that I have never seen anyone even attempt to approach. What he did is nothing short of a historic run through Bachelor in Paradise season eight. From the, your, had your play of the season, the crying at the fucking dress. The, of course he's going to propose. They got gifted a fucking trip to Hawaii. They got a money prize, a cash game show prize from the show because of, at least in part, his play. I just thought what he did this season was transcendental. I would encourage anybody who really wants a relationship out of Bachelor in Paradise to do exactly this. You set your sights on one player. You all eggs them early. You have a very strong, positive emotional connection to them, producing tear play at merely the sight of them from time to time. And you marry them. And this is it. He, he did exactly what you got to do. I loved everything he did. Thank you so much, Brandon Jones, for this play. Let's move on now to two final awards of the season. Potentially the most important award. What was your face play of the season? Literally doing whatever it takes for making this season greatly about her, given that she was kind of an underdog going in. Shanae Ankney's black toothpaste foam mouth face play was my... Face play of the season. I loved it. It always made me laugh. Every time I look at the picture, it's so funny. And it just, to me, represented what Sinead did this season. You know, she's not she's not Victoria Fuller, but burying the hatchet with Genevieve, going on literally dates with every single person. Like, she made the most out of her time on Paradise. And this face play kind of represented it to me. But my face player of the season was definitely Jill Chin, just for volume. This season, Justin Glaze reacting to Greg Grippo emerging at the live finale was my face play of the season. This season probably had the, the highest volume of strong face players we've ever seen. Clancy was doing it. Parisi was doing it. Chin was doing it. Ankney was doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ, Rapini was doing it. Everybody was doing it. Malby was doing it. But Glaze is known for doing it. They even put in his uh, intro little video thing, him doing face play. They made him do the raised eyebrow, open mouth. And he didn't disappoint. He said, I've seen what you've all done this season. I've watched it back. But now I'm at the live finale. Let me go ahead and show you how to do face play you fucking amateurs and he put on a fucking show he did probably four or five face plays over the course of that live finale (laughs) that put everyone to shame i thought and the one that he did when grippo comes out of the finale fucking eyes full aperture mouth full aperture he's got eyebrows going everywhere he really shows you what control of a face is like 
and he shows you what an expert face player can do. This this is just something we're not going to see again. This is like a once in a lifetime face player, in my opinion. Yeah, his face play at that reunion was was probably like by episode the best face player. I'm like I have different categories for face players now. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final season-long award. What was your wowie of the season? Danielle Maltby producing The Producer Rose for Michael Olio, which ended up with them avoiding Split Week, was my wowie of the season. It wasn't directly given by a producer like when Natasha Parker got the... Rose from Big Polly, but it was basically the same thing in my mind. And, you know, it just shows, like, if you have a great third audience game, you don't even need your first audience game in Bachelor in Paradise. Like, if they want to keep you, they will keep you. Absolutely correct. Um, This was a big wowie moment for me, but... Sally Carson's suitcase was my wowie of the season. This was kind of the opposite of uh, Olio getting Maltby's rose. This was, we don't like you, so we're going to make fun of you relentlessly. We're going to manufacture an entire storyline that is not real. And we're going to put a prop in the show and script a scene with four other players using that prop to make you look stupid. I really have never seen this level of maliciousness or vindictive attitude from producers, this level of pettiness from producers. Mm -hmm. This, to me, was the height of that, maybe in the entire history of the show, not just Paradise, but main games as well. Have you ever seen anything like this? Wow. I mean, the the children's chorus coming out saying, fuck Clayton, essentially, in the... Bachelorette limo exits was up there for me as well. But at least that was only 30 seconds of somebody's limo exit. This fucking suitcase lived on through like five episodes. At any rate, that is it. That wraps up our coverage of Bachelor in Paradise season eight. Everything that we thought were the, the most important takeaways, all of our awards. We thank everyone for joining us. And we'll be back next week with a recap of the next two episodes of Love is Blind. Episodes three and four of season three. We hope you'll join us for that. You don't have to watch the first two seasons. (laughs) That is correct. Just being clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, thanks again, everyone, for joining us. And before we go, as always, what is that drawback? It has been 7,557 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be Dark Lord Palmer. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then 